Romans 5, 1 through 11. Um, whew, we got to hurry. Already, we hadn't even started. All right. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, everyone say by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And you don't know how badly I wanted to camp out on verses one through five tonight, but I am not here to talk to you about suffering or perseverance or hope. I am here to talk to you about the fullness of a mighty God tonight. And so we are going to get, let's get into verses six through 11, because it is so much more comforting for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us, by the way, folks. He died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved uh, by him from the wrath of God. Everyone say wrath of God. That's noteworthy. We'll get to it in a second. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In God's fullness, I want to talk to you about three strategic areas tonight, and I'm going to need you guys to be a little more vocal than you traditionally are on a Wednesday night. I know you're tired. I know it's raining. I know it's been a long day, but I'm going to need you to just give me a, hey, I'm with you. Say amen. Amen. All right. Let's let's do work tonight. All right. First thing, I want to talk to you about the threefold portion of God's fullness, and I believe that when we wrap our head more around God's fullness, we can then in turn wrap our head more around God's plan and his desire and how he's moving uh, in all things through uh, our lives. The first thing I want you to understand if you're taking notes or if you're making mental notes is I want you to understand that God has a desire for us, that in God's fullness rests God's desire. Some people would call it God's will, God's purpose. What is he trying to accomplish through your and my life? And God's desire, ultimately God's plan, God, everything that God is trying to do, God wants us to know him, but he doesn't just want us to know that he exists. See, the problem with many of us is that we equate our Christianity and our our relationship with Jesus the same way many people equate their relationship with Abraham Lincoln. That is that they know that the man existed and that he did some good things, but they don't know him. They know of him, but they don't know him. And I think that many people, particularly in the Bible Belt, are going to find themselves on the day of judgment, standing in front of God saying, I knew about you. I read the history book that you called the Bible, but I did not know you. And he's going to say, you're right. You didn't know me. Depart from me. And, and I feel like it, it, there has to be an angst in our heart that even that either we passionately pursue the Lord and if we've already reached that milestone, then we take it upon ourselves, being that we are disciples to now become one that disciples and helps move other people along that passionate journey after Jesus Christ. 
And so God's ultimate desire is that we would know him, that we would fellowship with him, that we would want him more than we want anything else. Verse two of Romans five, and we're gonna break down a few verses out of Romans five, through him, the Bible says, Romans five, verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Folks, let me tell you something. You cannot be good enough to obtain the very thing that God freely gave you. That is the beauty of the gospel, is I don't care how good you are, you're not good enough to have deserved getting it. But while we were still sinners, so verse two, it says that we, uh, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, God's desire is that every person, every saved person, and that is what, that we would love him. God's desire is that we would love him. We would pour out our affections on him and that we wouldn't get distracted with the things of this world and life, but that we would just love him with everything that we have. God's desire is to know us and for us to know him. God's desire is for us to know him to the degree that we know him. And, and, and this is something that I encourage you to grab a hold of because people have been asking us, how are you doing it? How are you doing it? How are you doing it? And the only response that I have is that if God's, God has a desire for us to know him the same way he knows us, but for him to know us required a sacrifice greater than any of us would be possibly think about willing to give. So God grave a sacrifice that we can't comprehend. Therefore, in some shape, form, or fashion, he's going to ask of us a sacrifice that we don't think we can afford to give, but we have to find a way to give it. And I know that doesn't fit into the cute church mold of just like, man, every, your best life now or whatever, I'm not hating on Osteen. I'm just saying like, I, it doesn't fit into that context, but neither does the gospel and neither does the Bible. So if you're looking for a cozy religion, this isn't it either. And don't get me wrong, it's a lot more comforting than like strap a bomb to yourself and do work. Like I think that this is a lot more comforting than that. But it still is requiring something from us. I posted, a, a, I shared something from the Gospel Coalition on Facebook. If you don't follow TGC, I would uh, encourage you to follow them. They put up some amazing posts on Facebook. Uh, one of them is a, a, a post that I shared back in March and the title of the post was The God That Broke My Heart. And the quote from the post <clears throat> says that if my affliction was a severe mercy to awaken me to my need of God, then it is a wise gift from a loving hand. That is to say that many of us are going to experience difficulties and afflictions and persecution and things in our life that we are not necessarily happy with, things that we are not necessarily comfortable with, things that hurt, things that plague us. We're going to endure them, but oftentimes those are a gift from a loving hand to draw us closer to him. Because I don't know about you, but when things are going well, I tend to think that I'm doing well, that I'm doing all right. And, and I just wanna encourage you that if you are at a place in your Christian walk where nothing is going wrong, I would question that place of your Christian walk. I'm gonna say it again. If you, are doing, if you are at a place in your Christian walk where nothing is going wrong, then I would genuinely question your Christian walk because God was abundantly clear, and so was Paul, abundantly clear that we are going to face troubles in this faith. Uh, I, I loved it at Secret Church. One of the things that blew my mind 
in this context was one of the guys that was getting up to pray for um, the people in Iran, the pastors and the missionaries in Iran, uh, is he said that we don't pray for the end of persecution, we pray for perseverance. And it was like, boom, like light bulb went off in my head. I was like, man, my God, how many times do we as Americans or are we voting on behalf of and looking forward to and trying to strive for the end of Christian persecution when God said very clearly that that is what the outcome is going to be. They are going to hate you because they hated me. And so we see that God has a desire for us to know him in a way that we've not known him before. I remember, you know, this is the only time I'm going to try not to cry, but I'm just going to mention, you know, this past week dealing with Jabin and the seizures and the chaos and, and man, thank, number one, thank you on behalf of myself and my wife. If we didn't respond to your text messages, Facebook messages, Facebook posts, like email, whatever, if we didn't respond to any of those, don't take it personally. Um, it was just a lot. Um, he is doing better. Um, but not nearly where we want him to be. So we still pray uh, and seek the Lord's face in that. But I remember sitting by his bedside, talking to my wife. And uh, this was Thursday of last week was, we didn't think we were gonna get out of Thursday. We thought Thursday was it. Um, and so uh, we went through all the emotions of that. We get to Friday Things were considerably better Friday and they've been getting a little better since then. But I remember on Friday sitting next to his bed and I was holding his hand and, I, and the Lord just kind of met me there. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about when the Lord just supernaturally meets you in that place and, and brings comfort when it just doesn't even make sense. And I was crying and so my wife starts rubbing my back and, and just, you know, trying to encourage. And I said, baby, I'm not crying because of what's happening. I said, I am still in awe of a God that would love us so much that this isn't the end. I'm still shocked that Jesus would care so much about us that he would make a way for us to not have to say goodbye today and really mean it. God loves us so much that for those of us that love him, for those of us that know him, goodbye is merely see you later. And I was just so, God met me there with that. And man, just wrecked my soul for about 20 minutes. And so she let me snot all over the sheets and then she changed them. But, <clears throat> but man, God loves us so much. And so his desire is that we would know him, but I don't mean, don't, so don't get me wrong today, I don't mean that superficial no, like you knew that person in middle school, but you didn't really know them. I'm talking about God wants you to know him. Know him. Secondly, so there's God's desire. Secondly, there's God's demonstration. Holy moly, I mean, you're never gonna get out here on time. God's demonstration, <laughs> verses six through eight, for while we were still weak, 
God's demonstration. God's demonstration of what? God's demonstration of his desire, right? So we're gonna build this out for a second. There is God's desire. That is that we would know him. So what take, what is next? Then it would have to be God's demonstration of his desire. So God's demonstration is that for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love. God shows his demonstration of his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That same conversation at Jabin's bedside, that baby, can you believe it? I'm not happy about what's going on right now, but can you believe that God loved us so much that he would die for us so that if he chose to take our boy home today, we're gonna get to see him again in paradise. Like that is a marvelous conversation to have with your loved ones when it seems that all hope is lost, that his demonstration so powerful. This is God's ultimate demonstration of love towards us, which is the gospel. Folks, the gospel is not behavior modification. It is not changing your nature by your choices and your decisions. I, I read a post by a pastor recently that you gotta change your decisions so you could change your nature. And I was waving my hand like, no, 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 no. You gotta turn your life over to God so that he can change your nature. And by your nature being changed, you now make different decisions that at the very core of who you are has to be radically changed transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that your nature has been shifted. Second Corinthians 5, 17 comes alive in your life that I am no longer who I used to be. I'm a new creation. All things are gone. All things have passed away, but all things have become new that we're radically transformed in Christ. And so that he comes in and he makes us brand new. And so this is one of the biggest reasons in God's demonstration of love for us. God's desire is to know us. So his demonstration is that he would show his love to us through the gospel. And this is one of the biggest reasons, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but this is one of the biggest reasons why I'm not a big fan of William P. Young's works. If you don't know who he is, he's the author of uh, the book, The Shack, and Lies We Believe About God. And I'm not here to bash The Shack. I think that if you want a fictional movie to go watch um, that is inspiring, go for it. If you want a theological conversation about God, don't. Okay, and here is my issue with the shack. Well, I'll just get, I'll give you a quote from, from Jung himself. He said in his book, The Lies We Believe About God, who originated the cross? Question, if God did, then we worship a cosmic abuser who in divine wisdom created a means to torture human beings in the most painful and aberrant manner. Frankly, it is often this very cruel and monstrous God that the atheists refuse to acknowledge or grant credibility in any sense, and rightly so. Better no God at all than this one. And that is the mindset of William P. Young in conversations about God. One of the things that stood out to me in the shack, because I, I did read it and I did watch the movie, is the open conversations about how God doesn't care about sin anymore and that God is just a God of love and he's just here to do that and I'm not here just to bash that book or that movie, um, but I'm just want, helping, I'm wanting you to understand that God is so much bigger than and God is so much greater than we can fit into an hour and a half movie or a 200 page book, that God has so many facets that if you're going to watch something, go for it, but listen, you need to understand that God has so much, a much larger magnitude than 
than anything we can possibly give credit to. But more importantly, if we start to buy into the lie that God's wrath does not still exist, we literally rob Jesus from his accomplishment on the cross. And so when people come to me and say, the wrath of God is not even intact anymore because it's the New Testament and Jesus died, I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like, fam, hold on a second, right? Because here's what happened. Uh, God's wrath didn't disappear when Jesus went to the cross. Jesus literally absorbed it. In other words, God's wrath is still very much intact. It's just this, the wrath that he said set aside for sin became completely absorbed by Christ on the cross. And when he did it, he did it for you. And he did it for me. So don't rob Jesus of his accomplishment on the cross, but merely sit in a greater wonder of how someone could love you so much that he would pay that price. Y'all are quiet tonight, but that's okay. So we see that God's wrath is an absolute part of his fullness set aside for sin, for you, for me, but Jesus. It's the same idea from Luke 15, from Luke 15, where we see, uh, you guys have heard the story of the prodigal son, right? In Luke chapter 15, and he tells the story about the son that runs away and he comes back and his father accepts him into the family. We've all heard that before, but what we tend to not read is the last few scriptures of Luke 15, where he talks about the older brother. And in turn, what happens to the older brother is the older brother is not happy about the younger brother's return. Why is he not happy about the younger brother's return? Well, simply put this way. When the father, what happened is the father split his estate. One third went to the younger son, two thirds went to the older son. When the father welcomed the younger son back into the family, he had to take his estate that he already had set aside for the older brother and he had to split it into another three and take one third of what was already the older brothers and give it back to the younger brother again. So the older brother is frustrated because he now lost part of what he thought he should have. Right? And so the father in that, so who represents the younger brother in that story? We do. Who represents the father in that story? God. Who represents the older brother in that story? In some circles, it's religious people that are saying, you shouldn't be able to come back after all that bad stuff you did. Not remembering all the bad stuff they did, but we're not going to get into that, right? We're just going to let it go. Have your goat party with your friends. But, but <laughs> so the difference is, right, is who is the best example of the older brother? And that is Jesus in that Jesus paid his third. He paid his everything. He gave it all. All so that those younger brothers, me and you, could be so freely welcomed back into this family that God is building for us. So Luke 15, Jesus is the best older brother. So verse nine from Romans five, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, justified just as if I'd never sinned. Therefore we have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from what? the wrath of God. So friends, in this oh so brief message, let me encourage you to realize that we cannot rob God from the very wrath that he has set aside for sin, but merely sit in wonder of how someone could pay it for us. On the cross, all of God's wrath was taken off of us and it was put on Jesus. Number three, we have God's desire, we have God's demonstration. Number three, we have God's delight. 
And the key to this whole thing is God's delight. God's delight in us, in eternity, is his desire. It is in his design. It is in his demonstrations. Verse 10 and 11 from Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that is that God has set this aside. God's delight is not consumed by this material world, but in the beauty of the cross. And so, like I said, if we rob God of his punishment, then we, uh, if we rob God of his punishment of the cross, then we rob God of his delight in us through it. So here's the phrase that I want you guys to grab a hold of. On the cross, again, all of God's wrath was taken off of us and put on Christ. But the beauty of the cross is that on the cross, all of God's delight was taken off of Christ and it was put on us. That when he looks at us, he no longer sees the broken, fragmented people that we are. I'm not even gonna say were. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, we are. How many of us would love to have a play-by-play of the thoughts that go through our head put on the screen in front of everyone, right? All of a sudden, we that saved, <laughs> right? Like, well, all right, right? Like, we would, we would sit in the corner and we would cover our face out of embarrassment of the thoughts that go through our heads each and every day, right? For some of us, you're like, they don't even just go through my head, I literally say them out loud. Like, ask my coworkers, it's bad, right? <laughs> okay, kind of, like, let's work on it, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so, but on the cross, all of God's delight was taken off of Christ and put on us, and that is the beauty of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is that he made a way where there literally was no way for us to know him, and so God's desire is that we would know him. How does he do that? God's demonstration is that he gave uh, his love in a way that we would have Christ pay a payment for us. Why? So that God could now take delight in the creation that he created long ago and that he could see us and our affections stirred for him and care for him and love on him. And so God's delight is in us. It is, <clears throat> it is for us and God loves to see that. I remember I was telling someone the other day, they were asking, because I believe many of us go through times in life where we're fighting to try to accomplish the things that we know God would in turn love us for. And so we don't feel like we're loved enough by God because we're God's. We feel like we have to perform something in, other, uh, in a way that God would then in turn love us. And I think one of the things that, again, God continues to teach me through this amazing boy that I have um, is one of the, the sad parts about everything that we're going through right now is I didn't get to do a lot of the things that I looked forward to. So I didn't get to teach him how to shoot a three-pointer. I didn't teach him, get to teach him how to elbow someone in the face in the paint on a basketball court. You know, like those things I didn't get to, that was a joke, sorry. Uh, I didn't get to teach him, like I didn't get to teach him a lot of those things. Um, And so there are, are many things that we didn't get to do together that I hoped that we would get to do together. But you wanna know what the beauty of it is? My delight is not in the things that I didn't get to teach him. My delight is that he is mine. 
And so let your delight, let God's delight in you not be in the things that you haven't done yet, but let God's delight in you be in that you are his. And carry that. But is one of the big questions that we've been talking about is, is God safe? So if God would, if God's desire for us is that we would know him so that he would allow us to go through circumstances so that our affections can be stirred for him, realizing that he has a demonstration for us where Jesus paid the price so that we could understand that we belong to God and that we are his. And so his delight is for us. So his desire, his demonstration, and his delight is all centered around the idea that we belong to God. Is God safe? And I think C.S. Lewis put it so perfectly in his uh, incredible book that is so theologically accurate. I'm totally kidding, but it's a really good one. Uh, it's called Narnia, right? So uh, in, in Narnia, uh, there's a particular part where they were talking about Aslan and they were describing Aslan. And in Aslan's description, uh, he, he says, Aslan is a lion. He's the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe questioned the beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And let me encourage you tonight that there is nothing safe about this walk. There's no promise of a smooth road. There's nothing set aside on the earth but I can promise you that things aren't gonna go awry. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you that God loves you so much that sometimes he's gonna let you go through some rough stuff so that he can hold you close enough to know that he hasn't forgot about you. And that it's his desires for you to want him and know him more. But his demonstration is that Jesus loved you so much that he would die for you. And why does all of that matter? So that he can expose his delight and his delight is that you would want to know him more and more and more each and every day because he loves you that much. Church, can we put our delight in Christ tonight knowing that he paid a price that we can never possibly pay so that we could spend an eternity that we don't deserve to spend in a place that we could never possibly imagine because he's good. Isn't he good, church? Let's put our hands together tonight. Thank you so much. We just want to, I want to pray real quick and uh, we're not doing anything super long. Um, but man, I just, let's just pray. Father, I just, God, I, I thank you, Lord, for who you are, God, and you, you're so good to us. Lord, I pray that we would allow even what we learn tonight, God, and, and, and as we look and as we break down just Romans 5, that it is your desire that we would know you. It is your demonstration that you would make a way, and it is your delight in that we are yours, God, that you would draw us close to you, Father, that you would continue to stir up our affections. Don't let a day go by, God, where we don't acknowledge the goodness and the greatness of an almighty God in our life. And so, Jesus, we thank you for making a way. We thank you for grace, and we thank you for mercy. God, we surrender to you 
tonight. If there's anyone in here, Father, that doesn't know you, God, or maybe they have known about you the way they know about a history lesson or, or someone that once existed, but they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would woo their hearts, that you would draw them close to you, God, and that you would stir their affections for you. You would open their eyes to the necessity of grace in their life and that they would respond to that call by surrendering their life to you, God. And so we just declare that you are good and you are great and that you love us. But above all else, God, in your fullness, you are holy. And so God, we thank you for what you accomplished for us. We love you tonight, God. We surrender to you and we thank you for everything that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.